Chapter Twenty Two, Part Two of A Sportsman's Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. A Sportsman's Sketches by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. The End of Chertopkhanov. Nine. A year passed. A whole year no news had come of Pantelei Yeremeich. The cook was dead. Perfishka himself made up his mind to abandon the house and go off to town, where he was constantly being persuaded to come by his cousin, apprentice to a barber, when suddenly a rumour was set afloat that his master was coming back. The parish deacon got a letter from Pantelei Yeremeich himself, in which he informed him of his intention of arriving at Besonova and asked him to prepare his servant to be ready for his immediate return. These words Perfeshka understood to mean that he was to sweep up the place a bit. He did not, however, put much confidence in the news. He was convinced, though, that the deacon had spoken the truth, when a few days later Pantelei Yeremeich in person appeared in the courtyard riding on Malekadel. Perfishka rushed up to his master and, holding the stirrup, would have helped him to dismount, but the latter got off alone and, with a triumphant glance about him, cried in a loud voice, I said I would find Malekadel, and I have found him in spite of my enemies and of fate itself. Perfishka went up to kiss his hand, but Chertopanov paid no attention to his servant's devotion. Leading Malekadel after him by the rein, he went with long strides towards the stable. Perfishka looked more intently at his master, and his heart sank. Oh, how thin and old he's grown in a year, and what a stern grim face! One would have thought Pantelei Yeremeich would have been rejoicing that he had gained his end, and he was rejoicing, certainly, and yet Perfishka's heart sank. He even felt a sort of dread. Chertopanov put the horse in its old place, gave him a light pat on the back, and said, There, now you're at home again, and mind what you're about. The same day he hired a freedman out of work, a swatchman, established himself again in his rooms, and began living as before. Not altogether as before, however, but of that later. The day after his return, Pantelei Yeremeich called Perfishka in to him, and for want of anyone else to talk to began telling him, keeping up, of course, his sense of his own dignity and his bass voice, how he had succeeded in finding Malekadel. Chertopanov sat facing the window while he told his story and smoked a pipe with a long tube while Perfishka stood in the doorway, his hands behind his back, and respectfully contemplating the back of his master's head, heard him relate how, after many fruitless efforts and idle expeditions, Pantelei Yeremeich had at last come to the fair at Ramion by himself, without the Jew labor who, through weakness of character, had not persevered, but had deserted him. How, on the fifth day, when he was on the point of leaving, he walked for the last time along the rows of carts, and all at once he saw between three other horses fastened to the railings, he saw Malek Adel. 
how he knew him at once and how malekadel knew him too and began neighing and dragging at his tether and scraping the earth with his hoof and he was not with the cossack chirdepanov went on still not turning his head and in the same bass voice but with a gypsy horse dealer i of course at once took hold of my horse and tried to get him away by force but the brute of a gypsy started yelling as if he'd been scalded all over the market and began swearing he'd bought the horse off another gypsy and wanted to bring witnesses to prove it i spat and paid him the money damn the fellow all i cared for was that i had found my favorite and had got back my peace of mind moreover in the karachevsky district i took a man for the cossack i took the jew labor's word for it that he was my thief and smashed his face for him but the cossack turned out to be a priest's son and got damages out of me a hundred and twenty rubles well money's a thing one may get again but the great thing is i've malekadel back again i'm happy now i'm going to enjoy myself in peace and i've one instruction to give you perfishka if ever you which god forbid catch sight of the cossack in this neighborhood run the very minute without saying a word and bring me my gun and i shall know what to do this was what Yeremich said to perfishka this was how his tongue spoke but at heart he was not so completely at peace as he declared alas in his heart of hearts he was not perfectly convinced that the horse he had brought back was really malek adel ten troubled times followed for pantelayerimage peace was just the last thing he enjoyed he had some happy days it is true the doubt stirring within him would seem to him all nonsense he would drive away the ridiculous idea like a persistent fly and even laugh at himself but he had bad days too the importunate thought began again stealthily gnawing and tearing at his heart like a mouse under the floor and he existed in secret torture on the memorable day when he found malekadel chertapkhanov had felt nothing but rapturous bliss but the next morning when in a low-pitched shed of the inn he began saddling his recovered joy beside whom he had spent the whole night he felt for the first time a certain secret pang he only shook his head but the seed was sown during the homeward journey it lasted a whole week doubts seldom arose in him they grew stronger and more distinct directly he was back at besonova directly he was home again in the place where the old authentic malekadel had lived on the road home he had ridden at a quiet swinging pace looking in all directions smoking a short pipe and not reflecting at all except at times the thought struck him when the chertapanovs want a thing they get it you bet and he smiled to himself but on his return home it was a very different state of things all this however he kept to himself vanity alone would have prevented him from giving utterance to his inner dread 
he would have torn any one to pieces who had dropped the most distant hint that the new malekadel was possibly not the old one he accepted congratulations on his successful recovery of his horse from the few persons whom he happened to meet but he did not seek such congratulations he avoided all contact with people more than ever a bad sign he was almost always putting malekadel through examinations if one may use the expression he would ride him out to some point at a little distance in the open country and put him to the proof or would go stealthily into the stable lock the door after him and standing right before the horse's head look into his eyes and ask him in a whisper is it you is it you you or else stare at him silently and intently for hours together and then mutter brightening up yes it's he of course it's he or else go out with a puzzled even confused look on his face cherapanov was not so much confused by the physical differences between this malekadel and that one though there were a few such differences that one's tail and mane were a little thinner and his ears more pointed and his pastons shorter and his eyes brighter but all that might be only fancy what confounded chertapanov most were so to say the moral differences the habits of that one had been different all his ways were not the same for instance that malekadel had looked round and given a faint neigh every time chertapanov went into the stable while this one went on munching hay as though nothing had happened or dozed with his head bent both of them stood still when their master leaped out of the saddle but that one came at once at his voice when he was called while this one stood stock still that one galloped as fast but with higher and longer bounds this one went with a freer step and at a more jolting trot and at times wriggled with his shoes that is knocked the back one against the front one that one had never done anything so disgraceful god forbid this one it struck chertapanov kept twitching his ears in such a stupid way while with that one it was quite the contrary he used to lay one ear back and hold it so as though on the alert for his master that one directly he saw that it was dirty about him would at once knock on the partition of his box with his hind leg but this one did not care if the dung was heaped up to his belly that one if for instance he were set facing the wind would take deep breaths and shake himself this one simply snorted that one was put out by the rain this one cared nothing for it this was a coarser beast coarser and there wasn't the gentleness in it and hard in the mouth it was no denying it that horse was a darling but this this was what chertapanov sometimes thought and very bitter were such thoughts to him at other times he would set his horse at full gallop over some newly ploughed field or would make him leap down to the very bottom of a hollow ravine and leap out again at the very steepest point and his heart would throb with rapture a loud whoop would break from his lips and he would know 
would know for certain that it was the real, authentic Malekadel he had under him. For what other horse could do what this one was doing? However, there were sometimes shortcomings and misfortunes even here. The prolonged search for Malekadel had cost Chertapanov a great deal of money. He did not even dream of Kostroma hounds now, and rode about the neighborhood in solitude as before. So one morning, four miles from Besonova, Chertapanov chanced to come upon the same prince's hunting party, before whom he had cut such a triumphant figure a year and a half before. And, as fate would have it, just as on that day a hare must go leaping out from the hedge before the dogs down the hillside, tally-ho, tally-ho, all the hunt fairly flew after it, and Chertapana flew along too, but not with the rest of the party, but two hundred paces to one side of it, just as he had done the time before. A huge watercourse ran zigzagging across the hillside, and as it rose higher and higher, got gradually narrower, cutting off Chertapanov's path. At the point where he had to jump it, and where eighteen months before he actually had jumped it, it was eight feet wide and fourteen feet deep. In anticipation of a triumph, a triumph repeated in such a delightful way, Chertapanov chuckled exultantly, cracked his riding whip, the hunting party were galloping too, their eyes fixed on the daring rider, his horse whizzed along like a bullet, and now the watercourse was just under his nose, now, now, at one leap, as then, but Malekadel pulled up sharply, wheeled to the left, and in spite of Chertaphanov's tugging him to the edge, to the watercourse, he galloped along beside the ravine. He was afraid then, did not trust himself. Then Chertapanov, burning with shame and wrath, almost in tears, dropped the reins and set the horse going straight forward down the hill away, away from the hunting party, if only not to hear them jeering at him to escape as soon as might be from their damnable eyes. Covered with foam, his sides lashed unmercifully, Malekadel galloped home, and Chertapanov at once locked himself into his room. No, it's not he, it's not my darling, he would have broken his neck before he would have betrayed me. 11. What finally did for, as they say, Chertapanov, was the following circumstance. One day he sauntered, riding on Malekadel about the backyards of the priest's quarters, round about the church of the parish in which is Besonova. Huddled up, with his Cossack fur cap pulled down over his eyes, and his hands hanging loose on the saddle-bow, he jogged slowly on, a vague discontent in his heart. Suddenly someone called him. He stopped his horse, raised his head, and saw his correspondent, the deacon. With a brown three-cornered hat on his brown hair, which was plaited in a pigtail, attired in a yellowish nankin long coat, girt much below the waist by a strip of blue stuff, the servant of the altar had come out into his back garden, and, catching sight of Pantelei Yeremeich, he thought it his duty to pay his respects to him, and to take the opportunity of doing so to ask him a question about something. 
without some such hidden motive as we know ecclesiastical persons do not venture to address temporal ones but chertopanov was in no mood for the deacon he barely responded to his bow and muttering something between his teeth he was already cracking his whip when what a magnificent horse you have the deacon made haste to add and really you can take credit to yourself for it truly you're a man of amazing cleverness simply a lion indeed his reverence the deacon prided himself on his fluency which was a great source of vexation to his reverence the priest to whom the gift of words had not been vouchsafed even vodka did not loosen his tongue after losing one animal by the cunning of evil men continued the deacon you did not lose courage in repining but on the other hand trusting the more confidently in divine providence procured yourself another in no wise inferior but even one may say superior since what nonsense are you talking chertopanov interrupted gloomily what other horse do you mean this is the same one this is malekadel i found him the fellow's raving hey 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 responded the deacon emphatically with a sort of drawl drumming with his fingers in his beard and eyeing chertopanov with his bright eager eyes how's that sir your horse god help my memory was stolen a fortnight before intercession last year and now we're near the end of november well what of that why it follows that more than a year's gone by since then and your horse was a dapple grey then just as it is now in fact it seems even darker how is that grey horses get a great deal lighter in colour in a year chertopanov started as though someone had driven a dagger into his heart it was true the grey colour did change how was it such a simple reflection had never occurred to him you damn pigtail get out he yelled suddenly his eyes flashing with fury and instantaneously he disappeared out of the sight of the amazed deacon well everything was over now at last everything was really over everything was shattered the last card trumped everything crumbled away at once before that word lighter gray horses get lighter in color gallop gallop on accursed brute you can never gallop away from that word chertopanov flew home and again locked himself up twelve that this worthless jade was not malekadel that between him and malekadel there was not the smallest resemblance that any man of the slightest sense would have seen this from the first minute that he chertopanov had been taken in in the vulgarest way no that he purposely of set intent tricked himself blinded his own eyes of all this he had not now the faintest doubt chertopanov walked up and down in his room turning monotonously on his heels at each wall like a beast in a cage his vanity suffered intolerably but he was not only tortured by the sting of wounded vanity he was overwhelmed by despair stifled by rage and burning with the thirst for revenge but rage against whom on whom was he to be revenged on the jew yav 
Masha, the deacon, the Cossack thief, all his neighbors, the whole world himself, his brain was giving way. The last card was trumped. That simile gratified him, and he was again the most worthless, the most contemptible of men, a common laughing-stock, a motley fool, a damned idiot, an object for jibes, to a deacon. He fancied he pictured vividly how the loathsome pig-tailed priest would tell the story of the grey horse and the foolish gentleman. Oh, damn! In vain Chertophanov tried to check his rising passion, in vain he tried to assure himself that this horse, though not Malekadel, was still a good horse, and might be of service to him for many years to come. He put this thought away from him on the spot with fury, as though there were contained in it a new insult to that Malekadel whom he considered he had wronged so already yes indeed this jade this carrion he like a blind idiot had put on a level with him malekadel and as to the service the jade could be to him as though he would ever deign to get astride of him never on no consideration he would sell him to a tartar for dog's meat it deserved no better end yes that would be best for more than two hours Chetapkhanov wandered up and down his room. Pyrfishka! he called peremptorily all of a sudden. Run this minute to the tavern! Fetch a gallon of vodka, do you hear? A gallon! And look sharp! I want the vodka here this very second on the table! The vodka was not long in making its appearance on Pantelieri Major's table, and he began drinking. 13. If any one had looked at Chertopanov then, if any one could have been a witness of the sullen exasperation with which he drained glass after glass, he would inevitably have felt an involuntary shudder of fear. The night came on, the tallow candle burnt dimly on the table, Chertopanov ceased wandering from corner to corner, he sat all flushed, with dull eyes which he dropped at one time on the floor at another fixed obstinately on the dark window he got up poured out some vodka drank it off sat down again again he fixed his eyes on one point and did not stir only his breathing grew quicker and his face still more flushed it seemed as though some resolution were ripening within him which he was himself ashamed of, but which he was gradually getting used to. One single thought kept obstinately and undeviatingly moving up closer and closer. One single image stood out more and more distinctly, and under the burning weight of heavy drunkenness, the angry irritation was replaced by a feeling of ferocity in his heart, and a vindictive smile appeared on his lips yes the time has come he declared in a matter-of-fact almost weary tone i must get to work he drank off the last glass of vodka took from over his bed the pistol the very pistol from which he had shot at masha loaded it put some cartridges in his pocket to be ready for anything and went round to the stables the watchman ran up to him when he began to open the door but he shouted at him it's I! Are you blind? Get out! The watchman moved a little aside. 
Get out and go to bed. Chertopanov shouted at him again. There is nothing for you to guard here. A mighty wonder, a treasure indeed to watch over. He went into the stable. Malekadel, the spurious Malekadel, was lying on his litter. Chertopanov gave him a kick, saying, Get up, you brute! Then he unhooked a halter from a nail, took off the horse cloth, and flung it on the ground, and roughly turning the submissive horse round in the box, led it out into the courtyard and from the yard into the open country, to the great amazement of the watchman, who could not make out at all where the master was going off to by night, leading an unharnessed horse. He was, of course, afraid to question him, and only followed him with his eyes till he disappeared at the bend in the road leading to a neighboring wood. 14. Chertopanov walked with long strides, not stopping nor looking round. Malekadel, we will call him by that name to the end, followed him meekly. It was a rather clear night. Chertopanov could make out the jagged outline of the forest, which formed a black mass in front of him. When he got into the chill night air, he would certainly have thrown off the intoxication of the vodka he had drunk, if it had not been for another stronger intoxication which completely overmastered him. His head was heavy, his blood pulsed in thuds in his throat and ears, but he went on steadily and knew where he was going. He had made up his mind to kill Malekadel. He had thought of nothing else the whole day. Now he had made up his mind. He went out to do this thing not only calmly but confidently, unhesitatingly, as a man going about something from a sense of duty. This job seemed a very simple thing to him. In making an end of the impostor, he was quits with everyone at once. He punished himself for his stupidity and made expiation to his real darling and showed the whole world, Chertopanov worried himself a great deal about the whole world, that he was not to be trifled with. And, above all, he was making an end of himself, too, with the impostor, for what had he to live for now? How all this took shape in his brain, and why it seemed to him so simple, it is not easy to explain, though not altogether impossible. Stung to the quick, solitary, without a human soul near to him, without a half-penny, and with his blood on fire with vodka, he was in a state bordering on madness, and there is no doubt that even in the absurdest freaks of mad people there is to their eyes a sort of logic and even justice. Of his justice Chertopanov was at any rate fully persuaded. He did not hesitate. He made haste to carry out sentence on the guilty without giving himself any clear definition of whom he meant by that term. To tell the truth, he reflected very little on what he was about to do. I must, I must make an end, was what he kept stupidly and severely repeating to himself, I must make an end. And the guiltless guilty one followed in a submissive trot behind his back. But there was no pity for him in Chertopanov's heart. 15. Not far from the forest to which he was leading his horse, there stretched a small ravine, half overgrown with young oak bushes. Chetapanov went down into it, 
Malekadel stumbled and almost fell on him. "'So you would crush me, would you, you damned brute?' shouted Chertephanov, and, as though in self-defense, he pulled the pistol out of his pocket. He no longer felt furious exasperation, but that special numbness of the senses, which they say comes over a man before the perpetration of a crime. But his own voice terrified him. It sounded so wild and strange under the cover of dark branches in the close, decaying dampness of the forest ravine, moreover in response to his exclamation some great bird suddenly fluttered in a treetop above his head chertopanov shuddered he had as it were roused a witness to his act and where in that silent place where he should not have met a living creature away with you devil to the four winds of heaven he muttered and letting go malekadel's rein he gave him a violent blow on the shoulder with the butt-end of the pistol Malekadel promptly turned back, clambered out of the ravine, and ran away. But the thud of his hoofs was not long audible. The rising wind confused and blended all sounds together. Chertopanov too slowly clambered out of the ravine, reached the forest, and made his way along the road homewards. He was ill at ease with himself. The weight he had felt in his head and his heart had spread over all his limbs, he walked angry, gloomy, dissatisfied, hungry, as though someone had insulted him, snatched his prey, his food from him. The suicide, baffled in his intent, must know such sensations. Suddenly something poked him behind between his shoulder-blades. He looked round. Malekadele was standing in the middle of the road. He had walked after his master. He touched him with his nose to announce himself. "'Ah!' shouted Chertopanov. "'Of yourself! Of yourself! You have come to your death! So there!' In the twinkling of an eye he had snatched out his pistol, drawn the trigger, turned the muzzle on Malekadel's brow, fired. The poor horse sprung aside, rose on its haunches, bounded ten paces away, and suddenly fell heavily and gasped as it writhed upon the ground. Chertopanov put his two hands over his ears and ran away. His knees were shaking under him. His drunkenness and revenge and blind self-confidence all had flown at once. There was left nothing but a sense of shame and loathing, and the consciousness unmistakable that this time he had put an end to himself too. 16. Six weeks later, the groom Perfishka thought it his duty to stop the commissioner of police as he happened to be passing Bessonova. Oh, "'What do you want?' inquired the guardian of order. "'If you please, Your Excellency, come into our house,' answered the groom with a low bow. "'Pentele Yerimage, I fancy, is about to die, so that I am afraid of getting into trouble.' "'What? Die?' queried the commissioner. Yes, sir. First his honour drank vodka every day, and now he's taken to his bed and got very thin. I fancy his honour does not understand anything now. He's lost his tongue completely. The commissioner got out of his trap. Have you sent for the priest at least? Has your master been confessed? Taken the sacrament? No, sir. The commissioner frowned. 
How is that, my boy? How can that be, hey? Don't you know that for that you're liable to have to answer heavily, hey? Indeed, and I did ask him the day before yesterday, and yesterday again, protested the intimidated groom. Wouldn't you, Pantelier Mage, says I, let me run for the priest, sir? You hold your tongue, idiot, says he. Mind your own business. But today, when I began to address him, his honor only looked at me and twitched his moustache. And has he been drinking a great deal of vodka? inquired the commissioner. Rather. But if you would be so good, your honor, come into his room. Well, lead the way, grumbled the commissioner, and he followed Perfishka. An astounding sight was in store for him. In a damp, dark back room, on a wretched bedstead covered with a horse cloth, with a rough felt cloak for a pillow, lay Chertophanov. He was not pale now, but yellowish-green like a corpse, with sunken eyes under leaden lids and a sharp, pinched nose, still reddish, above his dishevelled whiskers. He lay dressed in his invariable Caucasian coat, with the cartridge pockets on the breast, and blue Circassian trousers. A Cossack cap with a crimson crown covered his forehead to his very eyebrows. In one hand Chertophanov held his hunting whip, in the other an embroidered tobacco pouch, Masha's last gift to him. On a table near the bed stood an empty spirit bottle, and at the head of the bed were two watercolor sketches pinned to the wall. One represented, as far as could be made out, a fat man with a guitar in his hand, probably Nidapuskin. The other portrayed a horseman galloping at full speed. The horse was like those fabulous animals which are sketched by children on walls and fences, but the carefully washed-in dappling of the horse's grey coat and the cartridge pocket on the rider's breast, the pointed toes of his boots and the immense moustaches left no room for doubt. This sketch was meant to represent Pantelei Yeremeich riding on Malekadel. The astonished commissioner of police did not know how to proceed. The silence of death reigned in the room. Why, he's dead already, he thought, and raising his voice, he said, Pantelei Rimeich, Pantelei Then something extraordinary occurred. Chertopanov's eyelids slowly opened, the eyes fast growing dim, moved first from right to left, then from left to right, rested on the commissioner, saw him, Something gleamed in their dull whites. The semblance of a flash came back to them. The blue lips were gradually unglued, and a hoarse, almost sepulchral voice was heard. Pantelei image of the ancient hereditary nobility is dying. Who can hinder him? He owes no man anything asks nothing from anyone live him people go the hand holding the whip tried to lift it in vain the lips cleaved together again the eyes closed and as before chertophanov lay on his comfortless bed flat as an empty sack and his feet closed together let me know when he dies the commissioner whispered to Pefishka as he went out of the room, 
and I suppose you can send for the priest now. You must observe due order. Give him extreme unction. Perfishka went the same day for the priest, and the following morning he had to let the commissioner know Pantelei Image had died in the night. When they buried him, two men followed his coffin, the groom Perfishka and Moshe Leba. The news of Chertopkhanov's death had somehow reached the Jew, and he did not fail to pay his last act of respect to his benefactor. End of The End of Chertopkhanov